EM board bombs. Now, here's doctors Iltafat Hussein and Blake Briggs. Welcome back to another EM Board Bombs podcast, where board studying is now more enjoyable. I am Iltafat Hussein, and I'm joined by Dr. Blake Briggs. For each 10-minute episode, we're going to throw out some high-yield board knowledge. You know, we like to say come for the stems, but uh, stay for the content. Please stay for the content. Uh, subscribe for free. I know, right? Subscribe for free updates and episodes, as well as printed handouts on topics by going to emboardbombs.com. That's where we're throwing out our references as well. Thank you, Salim Razai, for those suggestions, by the way. Now, Dr. Briggs, are you ready for this next topic? It's a key one. And I think if we were able to master this next topic and the way we've laid this out for you, it's going to get you about three to four questions that you might see on your boards. How could I resist? I just had three enchiladas about an hour ago, and I am super excited. Enchilada Wednesday. Well, the enchiladas might be related, to this and topic. you might see to this, yeah, to this topic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's do it. A 36-year-old female from Wisconsin presents the ED for abdominal pain. It's late summer, and she's really excited to take her two children to the Minnesota State Fair. This is, by the way, the second largest state fair in the country. Hmm. Pro tip. Trivia. It's just she's doing this over Memorial Day weekend to enjoy her favorites like big turkey legs, sweet Martha's cookies, and battered deep fried Snickers on a stick. Like the other two million people there, she attends the fair and chows down. 30 minutes after eating her deep fried Snickers on a stick, she begins to have some cramping abdominal pain on her right side. It's happened before, but you know, it usually goes away when she stops eating those, but then she continued to eat the uh, turkey. And after uh, two days of this pain, she decides to go to an urgent care. On exam, she's febrile. Her blood pressure is 90 over 70. Mm. She's extremely uncomfortable. And a right upper quadrant ultrasound is performed. But the report states it's limited to, to overlying bowel gas and patient's overall habitus. Which of the following is correct? A, elevations in ALT and AST are common in cholecystitis. B, this patient should undergo emergent cholecystectomy. C, patients with biliary colic should be made NPO and treated with IV fluids and IV antibiotics. D, Zosin is the antibiotic of choice for biliary pathology requiring surgery. E, physical exam findings are sufficient to establish the diagnosis of cholecystitis. The correct answer is... Drum roll, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> B, this patient should undergo emergent cholecystectomy. What? 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 Uh, but that I right upper no quadrant ultrasound. No one got Wait, this question what? right. <laughs> what? What is going on here? My surgeon will not do anything unless we have something on that right upper quadrant. This patient's very sick, um, just based on the blood pressure alone. Has an ultrasound concerning for emphysematous cholecystitis. This is a pretty rare thing, but you know what? That's why we did the question on it. I guarantee you're not going to find too many board questions preparing you for the situation when someone comes in extremely sick and they could have an emphysematous cholecystitis. But there's a high mortality rate in these patients. and They need to immediately get IV antibiotics, be made NPO, and undergo surgery within 12 hours. So let's start at the top and go down from there. How do we reach this conclusion? So the right upper quadrant ultrasound is the best, quote, bang for your buck test in terms of ED tests. It is hands down the best initial step test and the quote-unquote next 
step test. So for those medical students listening, if someone comes in with water bear quadrant pain and you have a whole host of options of tests, this, this test is almost 90% of the time right. It's not the CT. We'll get to that in a minute. Yes, but please. the best bang for your buck test is this right upper quadrant ultrasound. It's a little bit cheaper than all the other tests, and it has excellent sensitivity and specificity. It's speed of usage, the ability to quickly acquire images. You can even do it at bedside um, if you feel apt to do it yourself just for a quick review. It is the most sensitive test for identification of gallstones, more than X-ray or CT. Um, the, the, just to give you the numbers here from our sources, the it's 84 uh, sensitive and 90, greater than 95% for specificity. It is really, really good at showing contrasting tissue types thanks to that ultrasound technology. The sound waves where they travel, you can see that alternating tissue planes in the liver is that nice acoustic window that you can look at the gallbladder. The whole point of this test is you're going to be looking, what are the positive results? You know, you're looking for the echogenic foci or foci. Which one do you say? I'd say foci. Okay. You're also the guy that says deprovescence. I, that is true. I, that is very Anti-pyre- true. Antipyretics. 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 foci or foci, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for an acoustic shadow and the gallbladder anterior wall thickness. This is probably the, the big thing we look for. Anterior wall thickness greater than four millimeters as well as... Four. Four. The number four. That. Quattro. Four. Think of foci and four. There we go. That's a great way. Foci right. and four. So yep. gallbladder anterior wall thickness greater than four millimeters. And then alternatively, you're also looking for common bile duct thickness greater than four millimeters. We'll get to that why that's important in a minute. So the way I think about this, and you got to think about this visually, related diagnoses of biliary pathology, I put them on a spectrum. So at the far end of one spectrum, we have the not sick people. They look great. They walked in. There's the having abdominal pain on and off. And you're thinking they may have biliary colic. That's the far end of like the least sick of people, right? They're having intermittent bouts of belly pain due to that tightening and contraction of the um, gallbladder sphincter after a meal. And that's like, you know, they may have gallstones. They're just getting that um, spasm of the gallbladder wall. That's why they get that pain after a meal, but it goes away. That's the biliary colic, you know. At the far end of the other spectrum, we have the sick, like exclamation point, all caps, sick people. At least that's what it says in the script right here. These are the people that have emphysematous cholecystitis, and we'll get to that end of the spectrum in a minute. So remember, those are the two ends of the spectrum, the not-sick ambulatory biliary colics, which are a lot of Americans and other countries that are just walking <laughs> around and like have biliary colic, we don't know. And then the far right side of the spectrum, or left, however you want to draw these arrows. <laughs> I have it on the paper, is right. <laughs> these people probably, where are these arrows going? So let's go in order. That far not-sick pattern, we have biliary colic, one step in the other direction would be cholecystitis, right? These people now have a progression where the gallstone has blocked into uh, the um, cystic duct, and you have that, uh, that inflammation of the gallbladder wall. Um, and this is uh, people that, of course, will need to undergo a cholecystectomy at some point, but not emergently. And then stepping farther down the spectrum, you have cholecystitis, which we're not going to talk about today because that is a, you know, it's, that's a whole different topic in of itself, and it's high yield. We'll, we'll hit that another time. It's so very tuned. high yield. Yeah, think about the elderly person. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and that we'll get into like cholangitis and whatnot later. But this is, this is different. I think this is where it confuses people as well. And I think that's why this is such a great question because you probably are used to just seeing the, you know, cholecystitis, cholangitis type question, but this is really good. Right, keep going. Yeah. We'll talk about that another day. That's the common bile duct pathology. But, um, you know, one of the biggest things is a side note when, you know, when I was a medical student learning this, the worst thing about this is every one of these dang names starts with a CH or like coli or <laughs> colidoco or cholangitis. And it's like, as a med student, I never got, I literally had a gallbladder lecture. I'm like, what the hell am I learning today? And like, 
<laughs> I know. So one step further, you know, there are people sicker than people that have cholangitis, and that's hard to believe. But people that are sicker than cholangitis patients are going to be the emphysematous cholecystitis people, and that's this patient in this question. So let's get further. Now we got that spectrum in mind. Let's get through the rest of kind of the high yield points here. So our patient initially had biliary colic at the time. It was saying she's had abdominal pain on and off in the past. Cholelithiasis simply means there is a stone in the cystic duct causing right upper quadrant pain due to contraction of the gallbladder after meal. All that means is there's a stone present in the gallbladder. It does not imply that they have cholecystitis. Cholecystitis means that they are having unrelenting pain due to the stone being impacted and it is not allowing flow from the gallbladder. So patients with biliary colic will never have fever. They have no leukocytosis. The pain goes away after a period of time. Cholecystitis is when that pain continues and does not relent. So if the patient has a positive Murphy sign, and possibly in addition to that, they may have a fever. They might. They probably won't, actually. And they might have a leukocytosis. You would think cholecystitis, which is inflammation of the gallbladder. So a positive Murphy sign, maybe leukocytosis. That is the most common laboratory abnormality. So on a test question, if they're asking you, hey, what is the most common lab abnormality, or what would you see for cholecystitis? It actually would be nothing. That's the first answer. They're going to have normal labs. The second answer mm -hmm. would be leukocytosis. That is a high-yield bore bomb point. You don't see lab abnormalities typically with cholecystitis, run-of-the-mill run right. cholecystitis. Right. While you typically wouldn't expect a rise also in bilirubin, ALT, AST, or GGT, which I think makes perfect physiologic sense, because think about it, you're not blocking bile flow from the liver. You're blocking the cystic duct, which is kind of like a detoured route, right, or like a, a storage place for bile. The liver can still, you know, through the hepatic duct, secrete bile, and it leaves and enters the, the duodenum. So you're not changing any of that stuff. If, that ha if you did have a rise in AOT, AST, you'd be concerned about cholelithiasis. So the right upper quadrant ultrasound, when it's positive, you're going to see, what was that number again, Dr. Hussain? Gallbladder wall thickening of four. Four. You could also see something called the double wall sign, which is due to edema in the gallbladder wall. You can see pericholecystic uh, fluid. And then, of course, you just see a, a gallstone impacted in the wall. Easy. So if the imaging is negative, but you're still concerned about cholecystitis, this is when you get the HIDA scan, which I cannot pronounce that word after the HIDA. Cholecy Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't oh, worry my about God. It. <laughs> what the? <laughs> Cholecystitography. Oh, Holy crap. I cannot say we're it. Such, we're such ER docs. We're such ER docs. What the <laughs> heck is that thing? <laughs> so you get this oh, HIDA scan. If the, if the ultrasound's negative, you never do the HIDA scan first in the ER. I never ordered a HIDA scan. Have you ever ordered a HIDA scan? Please don't do it first in the ER. Well, yeah, I mean, sometimes, like, there are OBS units in the places <laughs> where you'll do it. You'll be yeah. the laughing stock of your... I'm just kidding. The HIDA scan is basically this perfusion test. You use tracer fluid, and it basically is a normal HIDA would show fluid filling gallbladder and biliary tree. If it doesn't fill the gallbladder it would indicate some type of obstruction, right? And then it would be a positive test. These patients are treated just like a positive ultrasound. What if it is positive? You make them MPO, you give them IV fluids, you give them IV antibiotics, and then they get a cholecystectomy in about 72 to 96 hours, no rush. So the, the other point here in the question they're getting to is, hey, when do you give these antibiotics and what do you want to use? It says, Choice D said incorrectly that uh, Zosin, Piperacillin, Tazobactam, is the antibiotic of choice for biliary pathology requiring surgery. And it's a good choice. It's broad. However, the infectious causes are usually going to be your normal gut flora, which is gram negatives and anaerobes. And so the antibiotics should be targeted as such. You don't need that level of penetration of zosin with pseudomonas coverage. Pseudomonas is rarely involved in this case. So the good options to give would be Cipro and um, metronidazole, Flagyl. Or you can do Ampgent plus Metro. So you can do zosin. 
but it's much more broad and just for antibiotic stewardship. And you know how boards love antibiotic stewardship. They do. They, they love do. it. They want, and this is yeah. one they're not going to give you zosin on. Yeah. You need to know this. Yeah. So yeah. the complications of missing cholecystitis, you know, you're probably wondering, what's the big deal? They'll just come back to the ER, like, you know, two days later with the same issue, right? So gallbladder gangrene happens up in up to 20% of patients. Think for that. Let that settle in for a second. That's two out of 10. How many people do you ultrasound a week for cholecystitis or at least a month? There's a good amount, this, right? How many people in the waiting amount. room? How many? I mean, what's the most common complaint in the U.S. for ER visits? Pain. Abominable pain. So, yeah. <laughs> so abdominal pain. So if you miss this, at least two out of ten. Remember, ten patients. You probably see ten abdominal pains a week at a minimum. You have to. If you don't, you're working part time, or in Alaska. So gallbladder <laughs> gangrene happens up to twenty percent of patients, and perforation happens in two percent which is, you know, a significant risk out of all those people. Emphysematous cholecystitis is the sickest classification of gallbladder disease. Sneakily, these patients are going to obviously have these gas organisms like clostridium species, right? Remember that gas gangrene where they're producing gas and it, it literally like dissects a gallbladder wall. Boards, if they did this, it would be just so sneaky. That's what I did I on know, purpose. I know, I so, know. And that's why it's a really big deal. <laughs> yeah, that's why this question like is gangrene, so right, is gas forming. We worry about gas forming everywhere else. But we just, for some reason, it's something that might not register right away based on the findings that you see on ultrasound, right? Yeah. So the sneaky thing here is that the ultrasound can be false negative because of the air in the wall of the gallbladder. And so the radiologist could falsely report there is, quote, overlying bowel gas blocks the view, quote, or something like that. So if you have a really sick patient, they are extremely sick, they look septic, and you get an ultrasound that shows like air obstructing your view, you, you literally have to think that this could be clostridium emphysematous cholecystitis. I mean, I don't know how you could ever avoid that or justify not reporting that to your general surgeon at your hospital. I mean, that's what the guidelines state. Right. And this is a surgical emergency, and that's mm -hmm. what we're trying to get you to see. And this is a sneaky way for them to ask it on the boards. And the boards aren't going to present you with someone who looks okay and maybe some, you know, maybe there's this overlying bowel gas, right? No, they're going to give you someone with abnormal vital signs, probably febrile as well, and is not looking well. And I think that's it here. I think we just covered a lot of stuff. Can I go ahead and summarize everything? Let's do it. Okay. Let's start from the top again. So... Retrocontinental ultrasound is best bang for your buck in terms of ED tests. You're going to look for gallbladder anterior wall thickness greater than 4 millimeters, as well as common bile duct thickness greater than 4 millimeters. You're also going to see that echogenic foci, or foci, depending what part of the country you're from, with acoustic shadowing. So remember that the not sick people are going to be the biliary colic, potentially cholecystitis. The, at the other end of the spectrum, the very sick people will be cholecystitis and emphysematous cholecystitis. Remember that the difference between biliary colic and cholecystitis. Remember that the laboratory studies are almost always normal for cholecystitis and biliary colic. You might see leukocytosis with cholecystitis, but that is it typically. That's a board question right there, right? Exactly Think right. about it. The so, HIDA scan, going. you can get the HIDA scan if your ultrasound is negative. This is usually something that requires, you know, admission or outpatient follow-up. It is not as fast, and it is not the, quote-unquote, best test to get first. You should never be getting this thing first. IV antibiotic choices. Zosin is never really the best option first time for antibiotic stewardship. That's too broad. We want to use Cipro plus Flagyl or Antgent plus Flagyl. The complications of gallbladder disease are actually pretty significant. 20%, up to 20% of people can have gallbladder gangrene with subsequent rupture and perforation and infection. Actually, infection would happen first, but whatever. Infection. We know what you're saying. Yeah, there we go. I just have to, I have to clarify. We're under the microscope. I know. Here. We are under the microscope. Under the microscope. Man. Yeah. Scrutiny. I the go scrutiny. to work and they're like, well, you should know the answer to that. You do a podcast. <laughs> right? It's like, come on. Well, I had <laughs> a patient a tell me that the other day. They're like, oh, I listened to your podcast. I was like, how do you? I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, so emphysematous cholecystitis, remember these people are really extremely sick. Think clostridium, gas gangrene. The ultrasound's gonna erroneously report overlying bowel gas, and it's right. usually gonna be a false negative. These people need an emergent cholecystectomy. Right. All right, wow, that was a lot of stuff. That was, so that, see, look, there was a lot of stuff there, but we covered about three to four questions that you might get on the board, right? Another board bomb has been delivered. We wanna thank a special person that helped us out with this. That special person is Ikram Erfanala, doing his uh, fourth year of ways right now. So he helped contribute to this. Thank you so much. Remember to subscribe to our website, EM Board Bombs. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Tell people about our podcast. Share it. Be nice. Be kind. And again, <laughs> emboardbombs.com. See you next time. See you, See you later. Thanks.